Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I do understand how people sort of come and go here because they miss their family. And luckily enough, we did have a large family and we still do have a large family and we actually like each other. Hannah Fincham-Thompson loves the top end. She was born and bred in Nullumboy and is now raising her own family here. And she still says it is just the best place to live. And I've got to say, I am 100% with her on that. In this conversation, Hannah shares with us how her family ended up in the region and the hilarious stories from her childhood. How she became a teacher and then realised she wanted to try her hand at business. What it's like to raise her own children here and her hopes for the future of Northeast Arnhem Land post-mining. I had an absolutely awesome time speaking with Han and as you'll soon find out, I was in stitches for a good chunk of the interview. But apart from being super funny, Hannah is a strong, determined and passionate woman who loves her ginormous family and her home dearly. So without further ado, pull up a pew, sit back, relax and enjoy this week's episode of Northeast Arnhem Land with Mon. Now, just to get things rolling, a little bit of housekeeping. First up, thank you so much for clicking on this podcast. My name's Monica O'Hanlon, and you could say I'm a bit of a sticky beak. I just love hearing people's stories because it's true what they say. Everyone's got one. I work at Gove FM in northeast Arnhem Land in the NT. It's one of the most remote and unspoilt parts of Australia. If you're someone who isn't familiar with it, here's what you need to know. The Yungle people are the traditional owners of this region. Their vibrant culture dates back more than 50,000 years. The hub, where I live, is called Nullumboy, a town created on the Gove Peninsula after the establishment of the bauxite mine. You're probably asking, what's the purpose of this podcast? I've met so many weird and wonderful people, whether they're from here or just passing through. I want to know how their path led them to this tiny little dot on the map. And it would be my absolute pleasure to share it with you. And our history goes mm. back quite a way. It does. <laughs> Through Govites. Yeah. Well, it's it's funny because I forget that you're a teacher. Yeah, I know. I look so young. You do. <laughs> but not even – it was like a, a different lifetime ago. Yeah. It, it was a lifetime ago. Yeah. Because look at you now. You're a business owner. We're going to get into that yeah. a little bit later. But first up, let's, let's just start. Let's start nice and easy right at the beginning. You were born in Gove, right? Born in Gove, my parents came to town. Obviously, um, both mum and dad came to town to work for the mining company. And it all just started from there. Obviously, mum and dad both met in town at the Walkabout Lodge, as every good relationship starts. (laughs) At the jam. At the jam. Dad was probably wearing stubbies and (laughs) looking rather hot back in the day. 
Um, mum was a true hottie, so no doubt um, caught dad's eye. And yeah, and then I suppose what do most people do have children? Not all, but most. Um, and yeah, we grow up, you know, grew up as little bush kids. Yeah. Do you, what year did they come, and and why did they each come separately? Because it's it is yeah it is it is strange. So, Mum came working in the accounts department for Nabalco, and Dad came working in the building sector for Nabalco. Yeah, it was just employment. I think they just was yeah seeking employment. Um, but actually, I could be wrong. I know that I know that Mum's parents actually were here. They were here before there was housing, even in Nolomboy. So my poppy, um, all known as Oil Can Harry, um, he used to do. He used to be a backhoe driver, and him and Nan lived in a tent out at um, where Bit at Jimmy is now. Oh, the, yeah. Right to the left of that was where all of the freight used to be exported in. I understand before they had the wharves or anything like that. That's where they used to bring the freight in. And right there at that bit at Jimmy site um, was where they had tents and things. And so Poppy and Nana were there. And then, yeah, so mum had parents living here. So she came and and I think the same with my dad. I think his parents were actually here. I'd have to clarify. I might have to do my own research <laughs> on my own history. <laughs> well, but yeah, get back to me on that. I will, yeah. Yeah, so... Obviously, there was family connection here, They, but it was employment. They came here seeking employment and they did meet here. And, yeah, so we yeah, were all born at Gove Hospital up in the, yeah, nursery up there. In the Frangipani room. In the Frangipani <laughs> room. Yeah, that's right. With the best view in town from the <laughs> hospital window looking, looking at the bush. Yeah, so, yeah, born and raised. Wow. And what was your childhood like growing up here? Listen, I thought it was unreal. I remember as a child doing lots of things like at the site where the indoor, well, the old indoor cricket centre, um, that was like just dirt and bush there. And we used to, they, for whatever reason, there were old culverts and stuff there. And we used to chase races, you know, the lizards, the races. Oh, yeah, the tartar lizards. Yeah, the tartar lizards, yeah. <laughs> and chuck them in there and then so they had nowhere to escape. And we just would put them, <laughs> collect them and put them in there. They probably died. It was probably very kind. <laughs> but I do remember great memories of being in that south area because that's where we grew up in south. So, yeah, there and blue tongue lizards and, yeah, doing just a lot of catching of stuff. <laughs> Yeah, catching and killing, probably. <laughs> so you're a born uh, hunter. Yes, yes, <laughs> in the bush. Um, and then I suppose I remember Foodland being there. I don't know, obviously, when that sort of started, but when we, mum and dad, they're in their same house now, they did start living in Feldegg. So in Feldegg, Feldegg Street, which is in South, mm. My grandparents lived in 20 Feldegg and that's an old Donga style house. And so they all, the whole family lived there. There was, mum said there was about 30 of them all in this little house in Feldegg <laughs> and they grew up there. And then for whatever reason, I think Aunty Sue's family got public housing. So then they were in Magnolia 
and well, they were both in public housing and they built the house in Chippers. So the house that mum and dad still live in now and that we all grew up in, you know, is, as older children, was in Chippers. So mum and dad built that house. And, yeah, so we grew up on the south side. But I always remember getting on my pushing and riding through the bush to Foodland. So that turned into IGA, right? Or is yeah. this a whole different thing? Well, it turned into IGA, which is now Gove Warehouse. Yeah. So Foodland was all we knew it. As and we would go to Foodland to do the shopping. No joke, I used to be able to take a letter there to Foodland and buy mine and smokes. <laughs> Truly, she would write a letter for me and send me with cash to go and get her durries. <laughs> what did she smoke? What was her favourite diet? Oh, listen, they, I knew, I don't remember the name of them. I knew there were hundreds in there because I used to flog a few. And <laughs> <laughs> just a card in it. Oh, it was just like the really big, thick pack of lots of darts, as many as I could fit in there, I suppose. Ah, uh, uh, the good old the days. The good eh? old days back when shit didn't kill you. <laughs> well, you never knew it did. Yeah. So, yeah, that was, yeah, the start of just living in Southside. Yeah, just, I was busy. You know, catching lizards, catching lizards, just busy, busy kid. And I remember when you rode from South to Foodland, it was not uncommon to come across a buffalo at all. You could smell them a mile away, and that's when you're, oh my god, like, yeah, turn around, go forward. You know, I suppose that depended how desperate you were to get Foodland. They did have good lollies there. (laughs) They did have a great lolly section there. (laughs) That was the place to be. Yeah, and I mean, I don't know how long ago that we used to have the deli there. Like really Mm. good hot chooks, good sort, you know, good deli. We need a good deli. And the bakery too. They had the Yeah, they did have really good bread Mm -hmm. there, didn't they? Those herbed focaccias. They did. Amazing. It was. Pre-made salad, hot chook and some rolls out to the beach. Mate, (laughs) not that I'd ever want to get into the food industry, but somebody out there should really, (laughs) you know, hone in on that. Absolutely. It's a market. I'd (laughs) eat a good hot chook, good fresh bread. (laughs) Are there any standout memories from your childhood? Listen, I don't know why this just jumped into my brain, (laughs) but I do remember mum and dad towing us in a little Suzuki down East Woody Beach with a parasail. No joke. And on the beach. On the beach with, a, with a little Suzuki and the Suzuki just roar up the beach and here we were as children connected to a parachute and, yeah, and they would roar us up and down the beach. Yeah, in this parasail. It was like an event. It was a day. You know, I remember... I do remember, actually, that they left my sister up there over lunchtime as it was like this family joke. It wasn't funny. Like a kite. They could just fly the kite. Yeah, no, just left her up there. It was just connected to the back (laughs) of the car and the car didn't even need to go because the wind obviously was really good. And there she was, just attached. Well, we were all eating lunch. She not impressed. (laughs) Not, Not impressed at all. Uh, funny. <laughs> oh, funny. Yeah. How did they even learn how to do that? I have no idea. <laughs> I really have no idea how or why they ever would have done such a thing, but they did. Yep. 
And yeah, so we did that. I remember I remember um as a child, old man Wag, Dan Wag's dad, taking us for the most amazing helicopter flight ever, ever. I've got such vivid memory of him flying us that close to the water along the Cape that the water was wetting our feet. No joke. Yes, it was just so unreal. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, so I remember doing that. Um, I remember lots of fishing trips in the bay on the using a handline and I always felt so frightened being in the boat with my father. Ne- stuff never felt quite safe. <laughs> I always was really on edge, you know, because he has a way of stuff going wrong. And, you know, he just must get in the boat and just get in it and just go and just hope there's fuel and hope the trailer stays together. And He just lived a lot on hope. <laughs> it was never – he just never checked much. But I do remember – um, pulling up and just tying off to one of the dolphins. Yeah. Well, you know, like out near the wharf and tying off there and hooking up on the biggest stingray ever and my parents like just fully up me like, come on, tough it out. You'll be right. Pull it in. Come on. And I'm like, like, no joke. I couldn't believe they weren't going to help me. They were like, no, nah, you'll be right. Pull it in. And, yeah, and then when this friggin' stingray come to the top, they were like, whoa, whoa, that would have been really hard, you know, if you've ever caught a stingray. They really are hard to pull in because just of their, you know, their sheer, you know, sheer shape. Yeah. They're just, like, going against you the whole way. Um, yeah, and, and, yeah, it was only then that they were like, oh, well, let me help you. Let's add the surface. You know, let me help you now. It's like. Gosh, I'd like cut hands on the, on the, on the, um, you know, on the hand line. That's all we ran was a hand line. So, yeah, no gloves. No, back in the day, there was never gloves. But, um, yeah, so lots of fishing adventures and, and one of, you know, Turtle Beach was our go to. You know, that's what we did in the school holidays is we went to Turtle Beach. And we would have the, all of the cousins, so the Lavities, you know, the Haddocks, the, yeah, our family, the Thompsons, all of the, because we had a lot of family that lived, at, you know, as young children as well. So there was a big mob of us, um, similar to what there is now. <laughs> None of us have gone far. But, um, yeah, they, we used to put just giant big tarps down and it would just be like this big slumber party, swag after swag after mattress, just all on, yeah, it'd be the big tarp. And they would, yeah, put a giant, one giant big tarp over the top of us as well and and we would stay there the entire school holidays and the guys would go back in for work and work during the day and then bring out more ice and bring out more food and supplies and... Yeah, and we would just camp at Turtle Beach and that was our – and I've got the best memories of that just being so good. I mean, I don't remember very much adult supervision at all and no one sat on the beach to watch your children in the water. It was just like, you know, survival of the fittest. None of us died. But, 
you know, there was absolutely no supervision. Mum had probably said it was different, but the honest truth is no. There was no sunscreen. Everyone got burnt. Everyone got booby rash. You know, there wasn't many bathers, you know, just wearing a shirt and, you know, knickers and and sea lice, you know, and swimming, boogie boarding all day. That's all we did. And so, yeah, we would spend our day all day down the beach. Come, They'd call us to come up for lunch. And I remember we'd have chicken rolls, chicken and salad rolls, and they'd put out a big spread. And so... You know at Turtle Beach when you come down the hill now yeah. and in the left, uh, sorry, in the right there, there's that big shady area. Yeah. That's where we camped. There never was the bollards there, of yeah. course, yeah, yeah. you know. And, yeah, we'd all camp there. And then towards the beach where is all the sort of bull dusty sort of there, we would, that would be our kitchen area. So we'd have, you know, tarps and stuff set up there and that's where our kitchen was. So we'd all eat lunch and that's where we'd have the fire and, We'd, yeah, go down the beach and swim all day long. And I don't know, not many people know this. I'm going to disclose a couple of secrets. Um, You know, there's that walking trail to the left, you know, like if you're looking at the water. To Bondi. uh, To Bondi, yep. As you first come over, like there's a little, little mound that you first go over and then you sort of walk straight ahead. To the right of that, it's like some dense forest there. But if you walk under there, we used to call it the Bernie Bead Forest and the Fairy Forest, like full imagination going on in there. It was like dead set. It was like you – because you walk in under that sort of leafy foresty area and it's really deep. So you walk in there and, yeah, it's quite like – and then you crawl all the way down and you and then you can, yeah, walk and there's a giant – you stand under a big canopy of trees. And so we used to spend heaps of the day in there collecting Bernie beets. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know the Bernie beets? Yeah, yeah, you rub them on Rub them the on the concrete and you burn your cousins. <laughs> yep, that's exactly what you do if you're a boy. Find any surface to rub them as hard as you can and then walk up and burn your cousin. So there was that. So we'd spend hours there. And then, you know the left-hand side rocks? Like as you're looking at the water, the left-hand side rocks yeah. there. I mean, have you ever tried to walk on anything like that barefoot? Oh, we were looking at it yesterday. It's like bubbles of, you know. It's like I volcanic. It. It's the sharpest yeah. rock. You'd never walk it now as no, an adult. No, no, nah, no supervision. Up we go, <laughs> walking along that rocky edge there. And if you look at it, if you ever get a chance, if you look at it, there is a cat made out of a rock, like a cat sitting on perched on a rock. And if you look, yeah, there is a cat there. You see it in the in the shape of a rock sitting on a ledge. Not around the other side, but no, on, no, you on can that see it from the beach. Okay. Yeah, if you're looking out. At the water on your left hand side, the sharp as rock there, to the closest to the water, obviously, yeah. you can see a ledge and you can see cats sitting on it. Wow. Yeah, there's just, yeah, bizarre places, so much to do. And then if you go the right side and then you go along the cliff side, you know, from where I'm talking about where the kitchen is, if you're yeah, looking yeah. at the beach and then that, <laughs> yeah, you go up and climb up the rocks and walk along that whole coastal edge. And we would go flower collecting and each morning get up and go for a walk and collect flowers for the for the table, breakfast table. Aww. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it was oh, really it beautiful. It idyllic, doesn't it? Mm, oh. It was really, really cool. It was a beautiful way to grow up and, yeah, I mean, 
I do understand how people sort of come and go here because they miss their family and, mm. you know, and they stay for a while and some people more than others. But, you know, most of the time people leave because they want to be back close with their family. Yeah. So luckily enough, we did have a large family and we still do have a large family and we actually like each other. So we, <laughs> so we do spend a t- lot of time hanging out together and, yeah, living life and adventuring and, yeah, hanging Amazing. out together. Yeah. What was school like for you, Hen? Listen, primary school, you know, I, I thought it was good. I don't have too many bad memories, I don't think. I think. <laughs> <That's good>. <laughs> <laughs> no, at school, I just remember, you know, always the hustle to the bus, to the bus stop. You yeah, know what it's like. Yeah, yeah. Getting ready for school. I remember mum, you know, standard yelling in the morning, if you don't get to the bus, you're walking. You know, that sort of stuff. She, we never walked very often. <laughs> She'd then have to drive us, which is I think that's why she was yelling at us. <laughs> But, um, yeah, just catching the bus to school with all my friends and stuff. The school was just as it is now. I don't remember it being too much different. I mean, obviously I, I was a teacher and did teach at the school. So, yeah, it was, yeah, I thought it was a great school and grew up there. And Were you a good student? Were you well behaved? Oh, listen, I'm going to say I wasn't very smart. Oh, come on. No, no, but... I wasn't really, I wasn't really interested, you know, I was happy playing sport. Sport was my thing. Yeah. I love playing sport. Um, was never a real good reader. Um, never desired to be. And yeah, my other sisters were, and that used to suck because they could read better than me and, you know. Different nothing. strengths though, That's right? it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, as a grown adult now, I've let it go. But uh, <laughs> after all these years, <laughs> after all these years, but no, I had a great time at um, Norland Boy Primary School and had lots of. I, I mean, thinking about some of the cool things I did, I went away for a school sports trip to um, Ali Angula over oh, at Groot, cool. so, and I have a really cool memory of flying over there and and yeah, just doing athletic sports with all the young all over there and. Yeah, and because I was into running and, and sport, you know, and Jungle are so good at sport that I think back then, whether it's less or it's the same now, I'm just not in that area. But, yeah, we did a lot with Jungle kids from other community schools and going over there it was really fun. That was a really top memory over there. And I remember a lot of the events, but just being on the beach. Everything was at the beach. I don't actually know why I don't even know what I traveled for maybe it was just like a school sports like sort of anything yeah. like it was just a I don't know just a combination of different sports but I remember we stayed at the school um and just camped in one of the classrooms on swags and yeah and then we just went to the yeah down to the beach each day to participate in different different events but yeah that was really cool Sweet. yeah and did you do high school here yeah I did yeah yeah Yep, so I um, – and then went on to Norlamboy High School and and I thought the high school then was great as well. I had a great time over there, did lots of – I mean, one of the cool things I remember is – and I wonder, I think you might have done it, Mom, because I think I might have been teaching <laughs> when you did this. But do you remember snorkelling off where Bitter Jimmy is, where – Yeah, we definitely – 
Would you know what year it was? We, I remember definitely we did, used to do all that kind of stuff with them. Um, so, I mean, snorkeled. I wouldn't snorkel now off Bitter Jimmy. <laughs> you know, like I think back, yeah, let's just take a class. Out we go. We're going to snorkel yeah. near Crocodile Creek. <laughs> just <laughs> off Crocodile Creek. We're going to gonna do a snorkeling <laughs> session. <It's> true. <laughs> <laughs> <No>. <laughs> uh, let's take a whole class of kids. Yeah, I guess... I don't know. They say that the popula- crocodile population has, has increased. Yeah, so it's a little bit different times. It maybe. is, absolutely. But, you know, <laughs> yeah, that's the sort of stuff we did, you know. We, yeah, went snorkelling off, um, yeah, off Crocodile Creek. <laughs> and croc infested <laughs> waters. And, yeah, we did lots of, like, we, we, we did a really cool camp. Yeah, so I was doing lots of cool stuff as a young person, Yeah. You know? Going over to Darwin for netball and yeah, yeah. Did yeah. you end up representing NT for stuff? We did, did yeah. You? So I represented the NT for netball um, and was in the NT Institute of Sport for netball, which was really I loved that. That was um, it was a lot just about not just about netball, but preparing your body and understanding um, from an Institute of Sport perspective. You know, doing lots of um, body strength and testing and and that sort of stuff, which I really loved, you yeah. know, testing and monit- monitoring your fitness and your speed and your strength and, yeah, and then seeing that correlate on the court. And so that was really, really good. And I also um, represented for touch footy and I loved travelling with the touch footy team. That was um, always had, you know, much more fun in the touch realm. Netball was so serious and quite catty. Yeah. But with touch footy, it felt so much more fun but um, still the same level of expectation yeah. um, about being fit and, you know, and being a good sportsman. Yeah, cool. Yeah, but, yeah, all what, good fun. Yeah, well, it sounds like you had a... A bloody brilliant upbringing, that's mm, for sure. Yeah, yeah. What happened after high school? Did you, because you obviously, you studied to become a teacher? I did, but before that, I actually took up a clerical traineeship and did a uh, did that at the Nullumbi Primary School. Ah. Yeah, with Angie Stanaway, her oh, and cool. Angie and I, yeah, in the front <laughs> office. Yeah, and Rebecca Dargaville. I know. You know, Pecky? I do, I just can't picture the yeah, name. Yeah, you know, Maria Akapita's. Um, Nana, she probably calls oh, her. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, Peck, yeah. So she was in, she was the finance officer for the primary school. But, yeah, in the front office with Ange Danaway and, and myself and did my clerical traineeship there, which was so awesome. I learnt so many good office skills because um, we used to go up to where housing is now in that TAFE area. We would go there once a week and you would do training. So, you know, you'd do your Typewriting, and not your typewriter. I'm not that old. (laughs) But you know know your word skills on your on your computer. You know, Francis Mac. What was it? You know, nanny. No, it was there was a bit of a game. It was something, but you did have to get your word count up. You know, without looking. You know, without you know, and you'd have to yeah. So we did that. What do you call? What do they call that? Sort of when you're speed testing or whatever, you know, you speed test on your on the computer. The beep test type. Version. That's it. But on the computer, yeah. So we did that, and we did lots of like drafting letters and that sort of skill. Cool. So that was I thought that was fantastic. 
I really love that. that. That gave me a lot of skills for going into uni and then yeah, then I um yeah, then I went off to CDU. I just over to Darwin, didn't want to travel far. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> obviously NT girl through and through. But um yeah, so I went to Darwin and yeah, um studied to be a teacher. Sweet. So how did you compare going from growing up here your whole life to living in Darwin? Listen, because I'd done a bit of sport and over and back, I actually knew Darwin quite well. Yeah. So again, I was in my comfort zone and was able to go to uni and I did have family and friends over in Darwin. So I boarded with a friend um, and yeah, so I actually, no, I started on campus and then moved in with a family friend at the time and yeah, and <clears throat> but Darwin was, Darwin was good at um it had the nightlife that, you know, I was looking for and did lots of cool things, driving around out to, um, you know, obviously went out and saw as much as I could out in Darwin and, yeah. So was that three years? Was that course three years? It was three years just as I was about to finish, of course. I extended it to four years. Oh, so you had to stay on for another yes. year? Yes. Well, Are I did allowed to do that? Oh, I f- gosh, it was frustrating. Like, you know what it's like, you study, 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 you're about to get qualified. They allowed me to teach, but it meant I then had to study an extra year externally. God. So did you come straight back? No, I didn't. I actually moved to Port Keats. Yes, to what air? So I taught out in Port Keats for about 14 months. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. It's out there. Yeah, so that was an awesome experience. Um, yeah, very cool being in an Aboriginal community but not near Yungle family because I'd grown up so closely with yeah. Aboriginal people. But going to Port Keats, it was, um, yeah, it was just people that, you know, I just didn't know and I liked that challenge about getting to know the, you know, Aboriginal people out there and their community and I worked as a teacher out there and, Really loved that. Yeah, really loved um, teaching out at Port Keats and the fishing that, yeah, um, what air offers. And, yeah, it was a very different community. It was always a little bit frightening. I um, I was there when that um, shooting occurred, um, when that uh, police officer, for whatever reason, that there was the altercation in the street and the police officer, you know, I understand, accidentally shot um, uh, one of the Indigenous people out there uh, in an altercation. I'm not sure how it all happened, but we were there at the school at the time and, oh, it was horrific. Oh, wow. Really, 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 you know, it's amazing how intuitive Yungle people are um, because, like, they knew something was happening mm. and they weren't even there. You know, children in the classroom, you could see as a teacher that something was happening. Yeah. in the community because you could sense something happening with the children and they're all talking and obviously it didn't speak the language but, you know, you could tell enough that something was about to happen and or something was happening that was quite serious and then, 
yeah, then all of a sudden we just got the call to lock that to yeah get all the children from the classroom down into the library and we locked everyone, all the staff and all the children into the library and yeah, and then um, then it was yeah then the community the TOs said that they wanted us to let all their children home, so we had to let all the children out of the library, and then all of our staff got into what they called it a bush bus, so you know like a bus with a cage on the back. Yeah, yeah, and we all had to get into the back of the bus and lay down in the back of the caged bus and travel all the back roads to drop all the teaching staff off. It really stirred something quite you know, terrible. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I don't really know the full story of what actually happened, but obviously somebody was killed in that incident and, um, yeah, and no one, you know, when people are upset and angry, I mean, you just don't know what's going to happen. So, yeah, there's mm. obviously some tension there. There was absolutely yeah. tension in the community. And you would have been so young too. I was so young. Yeah. yeah. I was only so young, but, you know, believe it or not, pregnant. Oh, you were pregnant? I was. I was pregnant with um, Ella, my eldest daughter. Yeah. So I was pregnant um, when I was teaching out there. And children, you know, love having pregnant people around them. And and (laughs) they all love that. I do remember (laughs) being so heavily pregnant and this bloody camp dog chased me right up the main street (laughs) of Port Keats. They're trying not to laugh, but laughing hysterically. As I'm heavily pregnant, running up the road, trying to get this dog away from me. Oh, gosh, somebody came and saved me. One of the ladies came and saved me and, you know, shooed the dog off. But, um, yeah, so, yeah. Then as I got closer to um, being due for Ella, that's when I came back to Gove. Yeah, to be close to family and, you know. Wow. Yeah. And so now you've got... Four kids? Four. Incredible. Incredible breeder. <laughs> You've got a good uterus. I do, absolutely. Even think about, you know, doing the nasty and I'm pregnant. Uh, truly. I've got to use like three sorts of contraception to stop me getting pregnant. Very fertile. Very fertile. Yeah, crazily it's a gift. fertile. Absolutely. It is a gift. It is a gift. And I absolutely acknowledge that because I know that many people struggle with falling pregnant. So I do I do absolutely um acknowledge that. Uh yeah. So yes, four children, three beautiful girls, um, who are now, like Ella would call herself sixteen, but of course she's not sixteen until December. <laughs> Uh, so 16, one turning 14 um, next month and one turning 12. So 12, 14, 16 and Leo, two. I know, wow. Leo the ranger, <laughs> back to two. <laughs> and when can we expect number five? No, it's not happening, Mon. There's some new contraception out. No. <laughs> Foolproof. That's right. Never, ever to produce again. I've done my bit for populating East Arnhem Land. <laughs> it must be interesting. Do you ever compare your childhood to what theirs is like now? I guess it must It must be quite similar in a way, right? It is quite, it is quite similar. Um, I think the challenge is now is that bloody devices... Ah, uh, yeah. You know, Technology. we never had him as a kid. You know, I the all I remember is when I was probably seventeen, carrying my old man forced me to carry his brick of an <laughs> iPhone. Like it was like carrying the sat was phone. Was it an iPhone or was it one of those? Oh, sorry, but yeah, of course, <laughs> iPhone. 
<laughs> it was like carrying the sat phone. You know, one <laughs> of the sat phones. Yeah, yeah, it was like you had to hold it with two hands just to make a call, you know. And even then I took it and, you know, pretended it was it died and that I'd forgotten the time and didn't get home until, you know, past the time I was meant to be home. <laughs> But, yeah, so back in the day we never had devices or anything. So if you wanted to see a mate, you had to ride there and everything was close. So you did, you rode or walked or, you know, called on the good old house phone and, mm. yeah, and called your mates and teed up something to do. And, yeah, and, I mean, again, luckily enough, being fortunate, we, you know, my parents would buy, you know, bought some little car. We always had some little bloody shitbox that we would Ride around in here and the old Suzuki, yeah, yeah, the old Susie or the Moke, the Mini Moke. Oh, you had a Mini Moke, yeah. Oh, I love that Mini Moke, had such great memories in the Mini Moke. You know, once we got our license, we were so lucky. I mean, my mum was very good like that. If we she was more than happy to lend the four wheel drive and we'd just go out camping, group of girlfriends, chuck us in the car, we'd all just drive out there with water, of course, water and you know, healthy food, not. <laughs> and just go and camp and, you know, have a fire and get drunk by the fire. As a teenager, it was really, it was actually really good fun. Great as a young person growing up here. I just think for my children now, the problem is the devices, you know, they spend a lot of time, yeah, on their devices, communicating via text rather than just going and having a conversation with your mate. Yeah, and people like constantly filming. Like I don't have Snapchat. I feel like I have friends that have Snapchat and you're having like a really nice moment for whatever, whether it's a birthday or maybe you're just having a really nice conversation or something and then suddenly people get out the phones and like do the thing and you it kind of ruins the Yeah, it does ruin moment. the moment. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it really does. And I mean, listen, I'm at fault of it. My kids would say, You're worse than us. But you've got a business, though, yeah. Right? So you know, when I'm getting emails coming through, my children will be trying to talk to me, and I'm trying to read an email, and they'll be like, "No, nah, no, nah, you're not even listening, are you? No, nah, you're not listening." I'm like, "No," because I'm working, and I'm trying to work out whether you've got something sensible to ask me, or you're just trying to, you know, peck me to death. But um, yeah, so I think that's probably it for young children is just the devices. I mean, we force them to come camping; they hate the idea of. It initially, you know, yeah. initially it's and like, and then there. once they're there, they love it. Yeah, it's just that whole, um, they're going out of reception, <laughs> you know, it's the it's first terrible. thing. Yeah, it's yeah. going, oh, my friends aren't there and, you know, that sort of thing. And what am I going to do? And I hate fishing and, you know, that sort of stuff. But actually when they're there and in the moment, they really do love it. Yeah, of course. It's just mm. children, I think, in general. It is, yeah. That's a nice segue, though, with uh, you talking about your business. So you went from teaching and now you are a business owner. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's right. So I don't know. I was thinking about this as I was coming in to wonder why I actually left teaching. I don't. I think internally I did just have an entrepreneurial um, desire. My, both of my parents are business owners and without me knowing it, I probably was quite entrepreneurial anyway. And I think that's really hard to pursue when you're working in a government education sort of yeah, yeah field. So I absolutely loved teaching, uh, but it just didn't fulfill my desires uh, for that entrepreneurial side of me. I think I've stayed quite um, close to children 
So I do a lot of things like the youth sponsorship that we run through the business and um, giving back to youth within the region. And, and you know, I, I was heavily involved in netball and doing coaching and touch footy and and those sorts of things. So that's how I think I got my fix with young people um, besides having four children of my own. <laughs> Yeah, for whatever reason, I left the education department and started um, studying. I mean, I studied most of my life, so studying something different wasn't it wasn't really that challenging for me. I studied to achieve my real estate license externally. Amazing. Yeah, so I did that whilst I was teaching, and yeah, just studied, you know, after work and of a night time, and then yeah, and then I started started my business and. Obviously, just word of mouth with family and friends started acquiring clients, and and then yeah, and and I was working from home, and then luckily enough, my family owned a commercial premises which had some vacancy in it, so I was able to um, start working outside of my home, and yeah, and then open up my business, and from then we've just grown, grown year on year, and. Yeah, and I've really, really enjoyed the challenge of business. I do love, I love business. I do yeah. love um, all that it offers and all of its challenges. Why, um, why real estate? Because to me, it's it's just such a wacky idea. You know, like I would never like yeah. what was the thing that prompted. In you? all honesty, I remember it very clearly. My mum and I talking about the fact that um, education wasn't probably fulfilling my desires, and she said, "Listen, we've got plenty of property." They did. They were quite heavy property owners in town. They they both owned businesses, so they had to have accommodation for their staff. So, yeah. um, and that was just a bloody headache for them. So they said, "What? Well, you know, why don't you start a real estate business in town? You know, we've got property. The someone's goes got property. This property, you know." And then we just sort of started to do the numbers on on yeah that there was a there was a market there for it. Amazing. Yeah. So I guess Han then. What are your hopes and dreams for the next five to ten years, or even further? What are your What are your goals in life? So I love I love living in Nullumboy. I love everything it's got to offer. I love fishing and I love camping. So um, I love my family. They they are really good people. They 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 also love the community and love the lifestyle. So. Um, when you're around like-minded people and we actually like each other, we do spend a lot of time together. And so many times it's just about connecting with family and working out what's our next camping trip, what's our next, you know, what what, what are we doing next? Um, yeah, so I generally like to have something planned, um, even if it's, you know, yeah, every weekend we are so busy very rarely are we sitting around at home doing nothing. So we've usually got a camping trip set, um, camping or fishing. We do do a lot of things together in the sense of planning a trip. I know even next year um, the family are all heading over to Amsterdam for uh, one of the cousins' 50th and it's dad's 70th and we've got lots of like big events like that and Sarah and Rod are getting married in Bali. So amongst all the family events of who's getting married and, you know, and someone's big zero birthday and that sort of stuff amongst that and just our own family trips, 
we usually have, you know, it fills the calendar um, (laughs) pretty well. So long-term on, for me, I, I, life here for me. Yeah. And then just filling it all in with holidays in and around it. Yeah. There's not really, um, I see myself here well and truly past the closure of, of the refinery. I'm really looking forward to seeing how that, um, you know, just how that happens because it's a really interesting um, path ahead and it will be interesting how it all happens because the history of our region, I don't think people know enough about it. You know, I was actually talking to my partner Aaron about it, just, you know, the fact that our region as Napaki whitefellas are really quite, it's just so young. You know, when whitefellas came into the East Arnhem region um, without the consent of young traditional owners and carried out business here on this land without the consent of young people and really had very little regard for young people and even the fact that it was their country and their land and came into our region, to this region, and um, carried out what they thought they had the right to do. You can't change the past, but acknowledging that that actually occurred and it didn't happen that long ago. Yeah. Um, you know, it was less than 50 years ago. Yeah, which is insane. It's insane. It. I mean, yeah, yeah. like I'm 38. It's not that long ago. And then yeah. so historically, you know, my grandparents came when there was not housing here and the beginning of the, ref, you know, of the mining company and, and the fact that now we're coming to the end of a lifetime of the you know, of the mine and, you know, seeing that cycle occur in this town and knowing that, you know, really young people, I don't know whether, you know, it's a generalisation, but we're so lucky that young people have accepted Napaki and the, and what has happened has happened and mm-hmm. what's done is done and, and working towards trying to together make a future for the region this next stage is about working together about what we we together want it to look like on Aboriginal land and knowing that we living on Aboriginal land and trying to get the best outcome of of what wasn't a great um, start to the region. Yeah, and to, trying to do it um, respectfully. Napaki and Jung will discuss what that what that looks like after mining. We all rely heavily on population. Population is what provides doctors and nurses and educators and, and that's there's no doubt in that. And young people in Napaki are working together to make sure that we have a viable, strong, healthy, balanced future. Yeah, absolutely. Now, Han, I've just realised I've forgotten to ask you about something that's pretty important in your life. I've totally forgot to bring up um, Aaron. Can you tell us a little bit about how you guys met? You know, I met my partner Aaron uh, on Australia Day. Really? I did, How long ago was that? God, time flies. So if Leo's two, I would have met him a year. uh, No, it would have been. I would have been pregnant for a year before that. So, yeah, two years before that, before Leo was born. So, yeah, so I met Aaron on Australia Day through friends and we obviously have very similar desires and um, love of fishing and camping and 
business. I mean, as has started his own business, Arnimaldo's, um, and we get to share the same premises. So I get to have a good perv on him every now and again when I look at him. <laughs> and if he races off to work before me, I get to go out there and give him a smooch on the sly. <laughs> um, yeah, but, you know, meeting Aaron and obviously, you know, a very similar um, desire. So we, we do both love going fishing all the time. We love camping. We love holidaying and travelling. So, um, and business, I mean, helping Aaron start his own business, just, I mean, in the sense of knowing, you know, little things like, oh, what accounting system should I use? And, and yeah, how to set up um, your accounting system and very basic things like that, that, you know, you lean on people and, Absolutely. you know, just a tip here and there, nothing, uh, nothing <laughs> awesome, you know, how to set up, you know, when he got his first employee, how to set up wages and, you know, those sorts the of pretty nitty stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Just yeah. those little bits and pieces that nobody can teach you. You just sort of learn it on the way. And when you've got someone that's already done it and I can say, oh, yeah, babe, I did this when, yeah, when I started and I use this and this is how I do it. And yeah, so different things like that. But obviously, um, as didn't have children when we met and he is, um, and obviously wanted to be a father. So he off I went again. Uh, <laughs> off I went again. He met just the right gal. Yeah, he did. That's <laughs> right. Contraception out, baby in. Uh, <laughs> it was just like that, you know. Honestly, well, I had my contraception out for four days and looking back on the dates, I was pregnant in four days. Oh, it's craziness. That's insane. 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 <laughs> Potentially uh, Nulan Boy's most fertile. Oh, woman. craziness. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So, you know. Amazing. Pregnant. So he was planned. He, he was planned. Absolutely. Yep. Yep. We said we'd give it 12 months. If I wasn't pregnant 12 months, we would shut it down and pregnant four days. So, bang, <laughs> straight on. And then, um, yeah. It was, yeah, I mean, I'd been pregnant that many times before. It was just like, like nothing. <laughs> just, you know, back to it again. Just had to, you know, go and ask all my girlfriends for pregnancy clothes and all that stuff and back to there. But, um, yeah, but, you know, the pregnancy was really quite easy and, um, yeah, and I thought I was just having another girl. And so we actually didn't have a boy's name. We had a girl's name and... Um, yeah. And then, yeah, went up to Gove Hospital and yeah, up there at the hospital in the maternity ward. They're just an amazing team up there and yeah. yeah, really lucky to have such a fantastic facility in our community. Um, yeah, but went and had Leo up there and really quite funny cause you know, gave birth to Leo. I actually had my two big girls in with me in that labour. Um, wow. Yeah. That, that's a good form of contraception. It is, absolutely. <laughs> no, having a two-year-old's a good form of contraception. <laughs> See, this is what you'd have all of your own. Um, yeah, but, yeah, so those, uh, my big girls came in with me, my mum, and, and had Leo, and it's quite funny, you know, being new, news travels. News travels, Mon, and before I knew it, my first guests were my nephews. They had heard somewhere along the grapevine at school and I had Leo at 150 and 
the boys had walked from high school straight up and burst through the door. So they were my first guests. No. Yeah, so my um, my sister's boys, Josh and Noah, and um, my cousin, um, Pat and Corinne Laverty, their son, Jim. So, yeah, they burst in the room and there they were, my, um, yeah, <laughs> my nephew's there ready to hold. Um, Umbilical cord still yeah, attached. Yeah, uh, all of that, Mon. Really? Yep. I had not, not, had not even birthed a placenta. Yep. Yep, there they were. Burst through the door, you know. Were they shocked or they're nah, no. used to it? There's so many yeah, kids. Yeah, right? there is so many children. Yeah, so no. And they were super excited to hear it was a boy, I think, because they all the family and I thought, Naz and I thought we were having a girl. So, yeah, to hear that there was another boy born, they were very excited. So all the boys come up and had a cuddle and, yeah, so, um, yeah, but being a um, big family, yeah, it wasn't long after the whole ward was full of family and, <laughs> yeah, family and friends and to have little Leo in our life is really quite exciting. I never thought, you know, having a stepping back into baby world would be that much fun, but he's a really good kid and um, we take him everywhere with us, so it's actually not too inhibiting. It um, probably keeps me a bit more sober these days, having a child, <laughs> having a child and having to be a bit more responsible, um, you know, when there's a baby in tow, so so that, um, yeah, that really does help. The girls adore him and, and they really do um, enjoy his company. You know, life is wonderful. I, you know, I've got great family. I've got an awesome business. I've got great committed staff. Yeah, so living in Arnhem Land and running my own business and having my good family, I'm, I'm, I'm content. I mean, my mum is probably my biggest, you know, if I think of my mentoring, business mentoring, my mum has absolutely been my biggest mentor. She, she's obviously, you know, she ran her own business, had her own staffing issues, had to house staff, had to, had business challenges. But my mum is so damn smart. She's so business savvy. She's really, um, yeah, she's got so much business now. She knows how to look at um, profit and loss. She knows, uh, she knows she's very, very um, brutal about the fact that business owners must make money. Yeah. I mean, I think that's some of the mistake that business owners make is that they think, you know, they think that it's a crime to make money, mm. but it's actually a damn necessity well, that's why you make a business. Yeah, that's why you have a business, but you do have to charge for your services and, you know, it's not cheap living here and mm. um, and operating a business here and people think you're rolling in the cash and, and in all honesty, um, if I knew what I knew now, I'm sure that I wouldn't have jumped into the um, venture of starting my own business because it's you do way more hours than anybody else would in just if you worked for the government so to say way more hours um, of a night time and early morning and and yeah and and the buck stops with you and my mum has been my biggest supporter of um, of the mentality you know when when it's time to celebrate celebrate because you know it is important to enjoy the wins and uh, because there's plenty of losses in business and plenty of times of disappointment or um, distress. And, um, and the other 
you know, the other thing she reminds of us, you know, don't get too high and don't get too low because, you know, it's just a constant roller coaster that you have to um, remain balanced and, and um, because, yeah, there's plenty of times, plenty of times when, um, yeah, when you could just not want to get out of bed and not want to face the world because it's a, you know, it's a brutal, brutal week ahead. Um, but, you know, she's been really good at saying, you know, turn the page, turn the leaf, move on, what's done is done. Yeah, but she's first to come with a bottle of champagne and say, let's celebrate. So, yeah, she's been a fantastic um, fantastic mentor. My dad, who also was a business owner, um, I think what my dad does really well is he just cooks food for us, you know. <laughs> he turns up, cooks food. If I say I need help with the children, he does not ask a question. Amazing. He never – he just does. You know, if I say – if I ring my dad and say, Dad, I need your help, he is like – he will drop everything. It shits my mum immensely that we can have that effect on our father. <laughs> <laughs> she can write a list for a week and now just just please can you do that one thing and and he just won't do it. But if one of us kids ring and say I need your help, he's there in a flash. And my dad is um he's our biggest biggest um uh, advocate. He just loves his children immensely, and I think um I think that's all you need sometimes is someone to love you and say it's all right. It's been a crap week. There's plenty of crap weeks, but you know we love you and. We're here and we can help you and, and, yeah, taking the kids, making a meal, hugging you, you know, telling you that you're loved is, yeah, his biggest, he's, yeah, he's, he is awesome, my dad. So I'm very lucky. Amazing. Yeah. Well. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> well, Hans, thank you so much for coming That's in. That's all right. It's such a pleasure and it's such yeah. an honour to have you in. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't, you probably don't look back on your life all that often, do you? No. You know, unless somebody forces you to sit down and think about your life. Probes you. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. Yeah. And it makes you dig out, dig out all the, um, dig out all the cobwebs of memories and stuff like that. And yeah, so yeah, it's good. No, I really enjoyed it actually. Oh, so thank you, Mon, you for are. encouraging me to do this. <laughs> My absolute pleasure. <laughs> That was episode 26 of the podcast, which means there is just one more to go before the end of season one. I still can't believe it. I've had an absolute ball making this series. Now, as always, I need to say thank you to GovFM. Before I left, I recorded this interview in their fabulous studio. They're an absolutely incredible community radio station. So thanks, guys. Absolute legends. A massive thank you to everyone who has given me their time and shared their stories so far. I am still in total awe of the people of this region. And last, but certainly, certainly not least, thank you for listening. Thanks for rating the podcast, leaving reviews and your messages. They're all very much appreciated. The final episode will be released very, very shortly, so keep your eyes and your ears peeled. But for now, my name's Monica O'Hanlon, and that was North East Arnhem Land with Mon. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. 
That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. <laughs> 